Today's episode is brought to you by Wordplay. Because the robots are revolting, they're fighting back, and they're also recharging. Get it? Because, like, revolting can mean repulsive and also rebellious, and also you can take it, like, revolt, like the electrical current. Eh? Eh? Anyway, if you think that was bad, you should see 1992's Mega Man 3, The Robots Are Revolting, which we're going to discuss on this episode of What Am I Podcasting For? Hello, and welcome back to What Am I Podcasting For? My name's Garlisle, and this show is the chronicle of my attempts to play through the entire Mega Man series, from Mega Man 1 to Mega Man 11, and as many of the hundred-plus games in between as I can. And that was not music from this game. That was The Show Must Be Go by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. I picked that music because it gets you in the mood, and otherwise it's just going to be me talking. We are talking about the successor to Mega Man DOS, which naturally means there is no music in this game. And I'm, again, I'm really not going to submit you guys to having to listen to a recording of this game. It's just beeps and boops and really crass DOS sound effects. So first off, you might be wondering about the fact that we are moving straight on to Mega Man 3 DOS. Where's Mega Man 2? There isn't one. So let's let's back up and talk about the story of this game a little bit. If you want the full details, I mentioned this before, but there's a great like 20-30 minute video by Gaming Historian on YouTube that covers the history of the Mega Man DOS games. But the point is, is the dude who had made Mega Man 1 DOS ended up leaving Capcom and creating his own game, which was supposed to be like an environmental warrior Captain Planet type. I think its name was Eco Man or something like that. You know, the, the sort of, like, PSA disguised as a game type thing that was... I was going to say popular, but that's not the right word for it. But what was attempted at this era in gaming. Anyway, though, he, he pitched it to Capcom to be all like, Hey, we've worked together, and you guys have published games from you before. Can you publish this? And the Capcom execs looked at it and went, You know, this is almost a Mega Man game, and this is pretty close to being built off of what you did for Mega Man DOS. So why don't you just change it and make it a Mega Man game anyway? Which means that this was not Capcom just being sloppy with the Mega Man license. This was Capcom actively looking at a game of mediocre quality and going, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll give that the name Mega Man. I can't entirely blame Kevin Rosner for doing this to the franchise. Capcom USA knew exactly what they were doing. Anyway, they tried to change the game's plot away from a more environmental theme to a more typical Mega Man, oh, all the robots across the world are going berserk and Mega Man's the only one who has so far resisted and is able to stop them. But changing the story was about the only thing they actually changed. I mean, there's a couple things we'll get into that feel a little more Mega Man than in the original Mega Man DOS. But also when we get into stages and stuff, there's like oil barrels everywhere and you still get the feeling that this is very like environmentally... Like, at one point, it was a cohesive, probably linear game. Anyway, we'll, we'll get back to that. You're probably wondering what all this has to do with the fact that it is called Mega Man 3 and not Mega Man 2, and the answer to that is very, very simple. One of the bosses in this game kind of resembles Sparkman, which means that Capcom could just Photoshop out... Well, I guess Photoshop wasn't around back then, but they functionally Photoshopped out Rush and Topman from the Mega Man 3 cover and left Mega Man and Sparkman and reused that as the cover of this game, which... 
They didn't even want to change the Mega Man 3 to say Mega Man 2, so this became Mega Man 3 DOS. That's literally it. They were too lazy to do new artwork, so it became Mega Man 3. That should tell you everything you need to know about this game. Also, when I said that this game was based on the engine that was used for Mega Man DOS, I really, really mean it. It is the exact same core engine, and there isn't really much in the way of significant changes to the core gameplay. They didn't implement sliding or charge shots or anything like that. There's still no password system or save system, by the way, which is even more confusing because we are talking about a DOS game, goddamn. There still isn't a speed cap, which means that if you are running this game in DOSBox on a modern machine, you will want to limit the speed at which DOSBox is running, or this game will be running too fast to be playable. Which, it's kind of funny too, because there isn't even a stabilizer in the frame rate in this time. If there's no other animation other than Mega Man walking going on on the screen, the game does actually noticeably speed up. Which, sometimes with the way that platforming in certain sections work, it speeds up and slows back down while you're doing platforming over pits. It sucks. We were also still in the era of CGA and EGA graphics as an option. EGA graphics is actually like 16-bit color, and or at least 16 colors, I forget how it works. I don't know technical specs. Shoot me. CGA is still white, black, cyan, and magenta, and even worse than the first game, this game was obviously not designed with that color scheme in mind. There are sections where it's almost impossible to see what is going on or determine, like, the difference between what's foreground or background and what's, like, actual platform. Oh, and just in case you thought they might have fixed one of the major problems with this game, it is still space to fire and it is still J to jump. Because to hell with my hands, I guess. Anyway, when we boot up the game, there isn't an opening stage this time. Thank goodness the opening stage last time was kind of a joke. We do get a stage select screen that does look right out of Mega Man. In fact, almost all of the portraits actually look like Mega Man, and that's because the portraits for the Robot Masters in this game are literally modified versions of NES portraits. We have Oil Man, who is Flashman but red. We have Bitman who is Hardman but yellow. We have Waveman who is Airman but with a slightly different chest design. We have Torchman who I thought at first might have been a slightly original design, albeit a featureless one. And then I realized he's Magnet Man without the magnet on his helmet. Blade Man is Metal Man, except instead of having the blade thing on his forehead, he's got like a slicked back headpiece and he's purple. And Shark Man, I guess he's kind of supposed to be Snake Man, but you can also tell that his portrait was the most heavily edited, because he looks like just a regular dude in like a shark mascot head. <laughs> And if some of these names sound a little bit familiar to you, interestingly enough, in the years since this, five out of six of these Robot Masters have actually appeared in other Mega Man games. The only name that hasn't been reused is Bitman. We actually will get, like, I think we're going to see Waveman as early as the next game we're going to cover on this, because Mega Man 5 is next, because I desperately need to play a good game after this one. Anyway, let's start digging into and tackling the stages. I'm going to go in the order that I went in, which was basically completely at random. It doesn't really matter that much in this game, and we'll get into why that is. So I started with Oil Man, which is actually a good place to start on discussing like the differences in stage design in these games. Oil Man stage, as you would kind of expect, is pretty clearly set on top of an oil refinery. One of the big differences that occurs in these stages is that this was true in Mega Man DOS as well. This game uses four directional scrolling and just single large screen levels that you maneuver through pretty much freely. Like the NES 
games at this point are still locked into, like, essentially, it's either a single static room, or it will scroll horizontally. We haven't even gotten into, like, rooms that can scroll smoothly vertically yet in the NES games. I don't even know if there are. We have, like, screen by screen, whereas this is, like, essentially one large stage. And the reason that I bring this up is that Mega Man 3 DOS actually does take good advantage of this. It designs its stages not as, like, generally just, like, straight-line corridors, like the first Mega Man DOS did, but actually gives you, like, open spaces with a lot of, like, alternate routes to it. At its best, it's actually halfway decent stage design, and the thematics of a lot of the stages are pretty good, and so I actually kind of like Oil Man's stage. I mean, we don't, we don't necessarily have a whole lot of unique gimmicks to this. There's a lot of things that we're going to see recurring throughout the stages, like just steady oil drips as an obstacle. We do get a larger variety of enemies in the stages in these games, although, I mean, for the most part, they're still fairly simple, but we have, like, plant-based enemies in this game. We have, we'll get into it, but we have a lot of, like, sea creature enemies. We have enemies that sort of occasionally look robotic. We do get Metars and Sniper Joes throughout the entire game, as opposed to just at the very end. One of the enemies that you do run into regularly in this game is a dude in a yellow scuba suit who fires shots at you. This was apparently originally going to be the protagonist of Ecoman, and they just reused him as one of the enemy models, which, you know, okay. One thing to know about this game is most of the enemies in this game take multiple shots to take down. In fact, the Metars take like, I swear it takes like 10 Megabuster shots, which feels crazy, but also things in this game generally do very little damage to you. We're talking like one, two, maybe three health in a game where you have a cap of like 32. You have a lot of survivability. This is not actually a hard game as a result, especially because there isn't a whole lot of instant death, which is kind of nice because again, we don't have a password system here. Most of the enemies still don't really look robotic, but at least they're trying with an increased variety this time, which, okay, that's something. Anyway, once we get to the center of the refinery, we will face Oil Man. And Oil Man, along with almost every other boss in this game, is exceptionally simple. Listen, there's only one other Robot Master that I'm going to get into who breaks this pattern at all. The other five Robot Masters all have the same pattern of basically jumping around the room more or less in your direction, and occasionally stopping to fire a shot. Which in Oil Man's case is literally just like, it's essentially just a black megabuster shot. It's supposed to be an oil spurt or something. That's literally it. And that's five out of six of the Robot Masters in this game. There are some things that this game does okay. Boss fights are almost never one of them. Like, I don't even have anything else to talk about about that, so let's just move on to the next stage, which is Bitman, who is Yellow Hardman again, but also he's the one who looks like Sparkman because he's the electric-themed boss. His stage, his stage does a thing where it looks like it starts on the oil rig you were just on on Oil Man stage, and then transitions onto like, oh god, what is the word for it? It's those like power transferal things that you will see, not generators, but like at the clusters of power lines. I I don't know. It's it's an electric facility that's suspended up in the air, basically. But the point that I'm getting to is, I think at one point in this game's development, it was actually going to be a linear game. And the stages were actually going to do like a transition from one into the next, sort of. Because in many of the stages, where you start in that stage feels like it is the end of a previous stage, or at least is like reusing visual assets from that, and then you immediately transition into a new section. That's actually kind of neat. It does give the sense that you are writing an entire compound as opposed to like a one off thing. Anyway, while. The overall stage layouts are kind of well done in getting you going in a bunch of directions. Like, this one has you, like, working your way 
down one side of this facility and then underneath it and then back up around. While the overall layouts aren't too bad, very few of these stages actually have like unique gimmicks or aspects to them. In that way, I almost want to say it's worse than the first game, which at least tried a little bit. On the flip, Bitman is actually somewhat impressive. He's the one robot master that I mentioned that isn't like the other five. He has kind of a Woodman-esque pattern, or like Skullman or something, where he takes some time to be invincible, then he'll charge across the room while also firing a shot ahead of himself. You have to be very careful about how and when you jump over him. And then when he gets to the other side, he also drops a bunch of, I guess, ceiling tiles. I don't know why ceiling tiles. And you have to dodge between those, since you can't even attack him during this time, he's invincible. He's still a fairly simple boss overall, but he actually is a bit of a different boss, and he has a distinctive pattern from the others. And he can be a little bit tough because of the rarity of the opportunity you have to actually hurt him. I don't know. I will give the game shit for almost all of the rest of its bosses, but Bitman's okay. We can clear almost the rest of the stages pretty quickly here. Waveman stage involves basically you raiding onto an oil tanker and navigating through it, which is kind of fun, actually. At least thematically and in terms of background elements, the stage looks alright, and I like that. Waveman himself, when you get to him, is just Airman, except instead of, like, a fan built into his chest, it's like a honeycomb pattern. I don't really understand what they were going for. And again, his pattern is jump around randomly, and occasionally throw out, like, a bunch of projectiles that kind of, like, get dragged down by gravity that you have to dodge. It's super simple, super disappointing. Torchman stage is next. You might be thinking at this point is going to be some sort of, like, factory stage or something. No. It's a sewer level, and it's worse than a sewer level, it's a sewer maze level. This stage really sort of just takes the cake for being the most confusing stage in this game to navigate. There is a lot of dead ends, there's a lot of points where you can accidentally fall backwards and have to, like, figure your way back up to progress. Fortunately, your general goal is just to get to the right of the stage, but it's it's a little bit trickier and a little bit more irritating. There is some neat parts where there's platforms that are kind of hidden in waterfalls, but you can see the water like splashing off where the platform is. I mean, it's at least taking advantage of the fact that it is a large open space, but I, I still don't think it's great. You fight Torchman in the middle of a half-flooded arena, which doesn't actually make any difference to anything, it's just visual effects, and also he's literally the exact same boss as Oilman. Jumps around, fires a shot, except his shot is red because Torchman. Blade Man and Shark Man, at least their stages give me something different to talk about, which is something that is pretty unique to this game. In fact, I think there's maybe only one or two other Mega Man games where this happens, which is these are underwater stages primarily, which actually feature swimming. Blade Man stage involves you navigating a bunch of like tubes and flooded rooms and stuff for half the stage before going into a much more standard, just like navigating a giant boiler room. Whereas Sharkman stage actually is entirely underwater and has you like swimming through actually kind of coolly a, a sunken boat and then losing the coolness by having you just navigate a whole bunch of tiny caves that have a lot of dead ends and are really pains in the neck. But the water swimming physics. So you do in fact swim in this game, which is kind of neat, except it is very poorly implemented. The best way I can think to describe it is that it's like ice physics underwater. Once you start swimming left or right, it takes a couple moments to turn back around. You will automatically try to float up and have to actively hold down in order to try to descend. But also if you get hit, 
the recoil tends to apply in really weird ways and will launch you like straight up really quickly, which makes it very difficult to descend around like obstacles that might be in the water. It is a neat idea, and I do think Sharkman stage in particular is actually like really fun for the whole idea of like swimming through sunken ships and stuff. That's that's always neat and cool in video games. I'm sorry, that's that's a cool thing. But it controls like absolute butt. Anyway, I don't really have much to talk about for the rest of these two stages because Sharkman is exactly what you've expected from the other bosses. Blademan at least has like a trio of projectiles that are like, the first one's aimed straight forward, but the other two are aimed to diagonally travel above it, so it's a little bit harder to dodge. Nobody cares. They're, they're all jokes. And speaking of jokes, let's talk about the weapon selection in this game, because the thing was, was Mega Man DOS, it had one absolutely trash weapon, but two of its weapons were actually not that bad. In fact, one of them I kind of really enjoyed. The weapons in this game have just as much creativity as the bosses, which is to say they don't. If you remember the Mega Man 4 episode, I mentioned that the Dust Crusher, the Drill Missile, and the Ring Boomerang were all effectively basically the same weapon. The difference was, hey, some of these are slightly more effective against certain enemies or certain bosses, but otherwise they're just a straight projectile forward. That is four out of six weapons in this game. The Oil Stream, the Bit Cannon, the Torch Arm, and the Shark Boomerang. Like, the Oil Stream and the Torch Arm are basically the exact same single-shot projectile that is just almost just recolored off of each other. The bit cannon is like, it's a little bit slower projectile because it's some electricity. The shark boomerang, I guess, does do the metal blade comes back to you thing. But the thing is, is all of these are extremely unimpressive weapons. The one thing that they do that's different from each other is that every enemy in the game has like a couple different weapons that they are particularly weak to. So like, if you encounter plant-based enemies, yeah, the Torch Arm will one-shot them. Other enemies, the Torch Arm is actually weaker than your regular buster, and that's, like, in some ways, I can almost kind of respect that as a decision. But also, the weapons can be fun at the same time. And when I say that there's two weapons that are different, I don't mean different by much. The Blade Launcher just has the advantage of firing three projectiles that kind of lean into a bit more of a vertical spread, so you can actually hit enemies slightly above you, while as the Water Shooter shoots some projectiles that fall due to gravity, so you have a bit of a downward spread, which, by the way, there aren't enemies in this game that you can't hit from your standard Mega Buster. Like, there's nothing that's too short for you to hit. They at least avoided doing that again, so that's nice. But the Blade Launcher and Water Shooter, that's it. That's that's the only reason they're slightly better weapons, is that they fire three projectiles. And this, by the way, means they absolutely shred pretty much every boss in the game between them. Interestingly, every boss in this game does have multiple weaknesses. There is anything from, like, a slight weakness to a this-boss-takes- a fourth of its HP strength weakness, and the Water Shooter or Blade Launcher are a weakness for a majority of bosses in this game, but because they fire three projectiles and bosses still barely have invincibility frames, like, I don't think they do. Anyway, the point is, is Water Shooter and Blade Launcher absolutely obliterate bosses in this game, and it's ridiculous. So that makes them technically the best weapons in the game. Just shrug. Anyway, I've already said way too much about the stages in this game, so let's get to the finale at Wily's Fortress. We do actually get a zoomed-out traditional, like, hey, here's a look at the fortress, but there isn't a map because it is just one stage. One thing I will credit this game for is that I think they did actually look at the Wily's Fortress stages from the NES games when designing the stage visually. There is something just about its aesthetic choices with, like, the way the platforms are designed and stuff that actually I have to give it to it. It does look like a Wily's Fortress stage. 
page. You know, minus the uh, pools of acid, but I mean, not completely uncharacteristic. Wily just usually prefers spikes. Other than that, it is largely similar to the Wily stage in the original Mega Man DOS. We're not doing like repeats of bits of the previous stages. We have a unique aesthetic between it, but the idea is basically we do a tiny bit of platforming with a couple enemies, and then we reach a boss room and we have to refight each of the bosses. And again, now that we have all the weapons, we have the ability to absolutely obliterate most of the bosses. After the sixth boss, we have a little bit more stage, and then we get to a boss arena where you might be expecting to fight Dr. Wily, and actually we don't. We fight CROQ again, which was the, the walking AT&T? No. No, that's not the letters. AT-AT, you know, the things from Star Wars that walk around on the two legs. Unlike the original CROQ, this is slightly not a joke. He is a little higher off the ground, and there are no platforms right at the level to actually shoot at his weak point. Plus, he isn't firing just like a single shot directly aimed at you. He's firing like a spread of shots that is a little harder to dodge. He's still really easy because, again, most things in this game don't do much damage to you at all. But I did want to note, he is he is upgraded from how he was in the previous game. And when we take him down this time, he explodes and we get to progress forward to our actual final boss with Wily, which is basically there's a pit of chemicals sitting in the middle of the room, and Wily's capsule like bobs up and down out of it. Kind of like that one stage in Sonic 2. There's the one boss fight in Oil Ocean where Robotnik's sitting in the machine that like comes up and down out of the oil. It's kind of like that, except Robotnik's machine actually came with attacks that it fired at you. Wily just like bobs up and down while turrets in the floor like throw glow sticks around and host the coolest wraith party ever. Anyway, Wily's really easy to take out. Because he is bobbing in and out of the water, the water shooter's downward arc makes it extremely easy to bust off the shell, and then his health recharges and you can just finish him off with like the Mega Buster or the Shark Boomerang. It's a joke of a final boss. And you might be wondering what the ending is, and let me tell you, it is literally the exact same ending screen from Mega Man DOS. Literally. I double-checked. <laughs> Even the credits listed on that screen are the exact same. And somehow, I feel like that's the only way this game could have ended, is with the least effort possible. So, I brought this up during the Mega Man DOS episode, but the creator of this game was originally a dude who worked on porting video games. Not creating them, but porting them. And that was a respectable skill set and a very difficult one. It was very difficult to port many of these games, like, one for one. You had to understand the game and build it again, from the ground up to the new system specs. It was It's a respectable skill to be able to port to a system that is fundamentally different. But he's still not really a designer. I think, in, in a sense, some of his Sage design increased from the previous game, in a visual sense. But in other ways, I honestly do think it got a little bit worse. Only a couple stages in this game actually feel like they really have all that much that's unique to them. Most of the bosses, again, five of the Robot Masters are the same boss. I've been complaining in some of the recent main series episodes about how some of the bosses are actually really simple, and honestly, many Mega Man bosses are really simple, but five of the same bosses just, what are you doing? The dude's skills are very clearly importing and not creating, and so it will probably surprise some of you to know that he worked on a Mega Man game again. Now, I'm going to bring this up here because I'm not going to be playing that game. And the reason why is because it's actually a PC port of Mega Man X, which I've looked into it, and minus the sound and music, which is a noticeable downgrade because they did not have access to the sound font, they just had to use MIDI files and stuff. But minus the sound effects and stuff, he was given the original materials 
to work with and told, hey, you're not making a game, you're just porting it. And so the PC port of Mega Man X actually looks pretty accurate. There's there's some subtle ways in which it doesn't quite look right and stuff. And maybe I will dig into that a little bit more in the Mega Man X episode, which is less far away than I thought it was, by the way. But when given the ability to just do a port, the dude has the capacity to do a decently okay porting job. Anyway, final thoughts about this? Much like Mega Man DOS, don't, don't put yourself through this game. It's just not worth it. It's not a particularly fun game. There isn't even, like, interesting, like, weapons to toy with. It is a really good example of how to screw up a Mega Man game. The stages don't have interesting mechanisms in them, the bosses are exceptionally bland, and the weapon selection is even more bland. It feels almost crazy to say that I do think this is worse than Mega Man DOS, because in some ways this game should be more polished, but I feel like I had more positive to say about Mega Man DOS than I did this one, and that's not good. Anyway, next episode, we will be cleansing our palette with Mega Man 5, because that's actually a good game, or at least I remember it being a good game. We'll see how true that turns out to be. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get in touch, I'm available at whatamipodcastingfor at gmail.com, on Twitter at whatamipodcast4, with the number 4, Twitter has username limits, Stop by waipf.podbean.com if you want the RSS feed or direct downloads or the most recent releases of episodes without waiting to see if your podcast provider of choice updates in time. I'd once again like to thank Kevin McLeod for the opening music because, God, we needed that break. Thanks again. And remember, this didn't have to be a Mega Man game. Capcom executives made it into a Mega Man game. This one's on them. It controls like absolute butt. Butt on butter. Butt. It controls like absolute butter. I don't know. Which of those sounds better? It controls like absolute butt butter? (laughs) No. No, that's no good at all.